My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. Hello and welcome to Talking Radical Radio, where we bring you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people who are facing many different struggles talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I'll be speaking with Carol Toodle and Joshua Wright. Carol Toodle grew up in British Columbia and first got involved in environmental and forest protection issues as a university student in the 1980s. By the time she moved away to Ontario a few years later, it felt like movements were winning important concessions and that BC was at least on the path towards protecting its old-growth forests. When she moved back to Vancouver Island in 2014, she took a trip around the island that, she said, left her aghast at what she described as the devastation. It became very clear to her that old-growth forests were not being protected. Joshua Wright grew up beside industrial timberlands and started to take an interest in forest protection issues about five years ago, when he was 12 years old. He's been doing his own research using publicly available satellite imagery, government and industry documents, and so on. This past summer, while using Google Earth, Wright spotted a sizable area of intact old-growth forest in the San Juan Valley on Vancouver Island, near Port Renfrew. It's called Fairy Creek. He found that a company called Teal Jones has permits to build roads into the valley for subsequent clear-cut logging, and the process of building those roads had begun. Around that time, another activist happened to put Tootle in touch with Wright, so they compared notes and decided they needed to act. In the last two decades, a lot of environmentalism focused on forests in BC has taken the familiar form of click this, share that, donate here, email there, respond to a government consultation, and show up for the occasional demo. Toodle and Wright have done their share of this, but both have the sense that it just hasn't been working. They say that if you look specifically at big tree, old growth forest, only about 1% of what used to exist now remains, or about 35,000 hectares. They estimate that at current rates, the rest will be gone in about three years. BC's NDP government, which governed with the support of the Green Party, was elected in 2017 on a platform that included a number of promises related to improving forest protection. Despite an ongoing series of public consultations, Toodle says they have done the opposite. She says the loss of old-growth forest has actually accelerated under the NDP. In response to the threat to Ferry Creek, Toodle put out a call for an initial meeting. Around two dozen activists showed up, and they agreed that direct action was necessary. That same day, they blocked one of the roads into the Ferry Creek area, and not long after, they blocked the other. The relationship between the blockades and the indigenous people whose land they're taking place on is complicated. Though they have tried, as of the time of the interview, they had not yet established a connection with the nearby Pachidat First Nations Band Council, which they say benefits financially from the timber industry. But they have had grassroots Pachidat elders and youth activists visit the blockades and speak out in support of what they're doing. And they say that they continue the blockades under the invitation of Pachidat elder Bill Jones. The original demands of the blockades were that the BC government release the report from their old growth strategic review, end all old growth logging, and commit to working with First Nations on forest protection. 
The company and the government have said very little in response to the blockade. There's been no hint of the kind of heated rhetoric or militarized and criminalizing responses that such actions often face. This may be connected to the recent snap election call by the NDP made after this interview was recorded. But earlier in September, the government did release the Old Growth Review and announced measures to defer logging in a handful of old growth areas. Wright points out that a deferral is not the same as permanent protection, and that most old growth areas, including Ferry Creek, remain completely unprotected. Whatever happens, the blockaders say they're not leaving until their demands are met. They're winterizing their camps and preparing for the long haul. I speak with Tootle and Wright about protecting old growth forests in British Columbia and about the Ferry Creek blockades. I'm Carol Tootle. I live in Nanaimo. I was born in Victoria, British Columbia, and after Expo 86, I moved away from BC, you know, after I graduated university and went to Ontario to get my start. At the time, I'd been a university environmental and forestry activist, and I honestly believed that things were improving. They were going to bring in ecology-based forest management. There was all sorts of optimism. I didn't return to British Columbia until 2014. In the meantime, I was involved in many other issues. But when I came back in 2014 and drove up and down the island and started to look at what was going on, I was absolutely aghast. I could not believe this is what happened to the land I'd been born into. I couldn't believe the devastation that I saw everywhere I went on Vancouver Island and across British Columbia. So I end up getting linked up with a number of activists in Victoria. I, you know, supported various NGOs for decades and I campaigned for them. I realized nothing was happening. Vancouver Island had been more or less lost. We're down to the last of it. And same with British Columbia. My name is Joshua Wright and I'm a forest defender and documentary filmmaker. I grew up next to industrial timberland. So I grew up seeing forests that I loved be clear-cut by timber conglomerate. And when I was 11 or 12, I started seeing pictures that the Ancient Forest Alliance was taking of, you know, these massive trees and these massive stumps. And I got on Google Earth and I began mapping out old growth areas. And I began looking on which areas were being protected. I began looking at logging plans. And I've been doing that for five years now, I'm 17. And I've been watching from a distance and on the ground now and again, as these amazing areas one by one are destroyed. And I've gotten sick of it. Clearly, the past scheme of environmentalism, where you essentially slightly ask the government to save areas, isn't working. And right now, we have about three years left of the biggest trees before they're all gone. About a month and a half ago, I discovered that the San Juan River Valley contained an area called Ferry Creek, which is intact. And I discovered that Joe Jones had plans to build roads into the head of that intact valley and clear-cut it. So about a month ago, I got in touch with Carol, and we started the Old Growth Blockades. For the benefit of people listening in other parts of the country, what is the territory that we're talking about like? And talk in more detail about the status of old growth forests in BC. I'm 58 years old. I grew up with massive trees. I grew up with incredible forests. I grew up with lush, fresh air. I grew up with just the most beautiful surrounds. But basically, these lush forests and fresh air and cool breezes have been transformed. Vancouver Island, just like the rest of British Columbia, where natural forests were, are new forests, mainly monocrop plantations. We now suffer from massive flooding and massive drought. 
prior to last summer, we had three summers in a row of the most intense forest fires ever. And each summer it was worse, with more landmass taken by fire and more intense fires. It's now humid in Nanaimo. It did not used to be humid over here. And even doing trails like the Juan de Fuca Trail, which I did a few months ago, it's beside clear-cut forests. Of course, you can't replace old-growth forests. It's dead zone. I remember what it was like as a child, and all that's gone. We've essentially deforested a lot more than half of the temperate rainforest that used to stretch all the way from Alaska to California. Vancouver Island is at the southern extent of what is considered to be the last place in the world that has a functional temperate rainforest. And increasingly, it's not functional anymore. It's fragmented. And at this point, we aren't even campaigning to save a rainforest. We are campaigning to save the last few percent of what still stands. And we're down to well under the last few percent. We've got less than 1% of trees in the site index 20 and above. We've got 35,000 hectares of forests that contain site index 25 and above trees. We don't even calculate or look at site index 30, 40, 50 anymore. Uh, And site index is an industry indicator of tree size in a particular area. But we're down to less than 1% of what we can term productive ancient old-growth forested area in British Columbia. Now, don't forget, an old-growth forest includes trees of all sizes and ages. So everything's fragmented. And all the big giants, what we think are the iconic rainforests of British Columbia, especially Vancouver Island, we're down to an area of 35,000 hectares in all of British Columbia. And that includes the inland rainforest. It really is diddly squat. It's all fragmented. We're now fighting for the last little pieces to keep them. We're now logging over 10,000 hectares of old growth forest on Vancouver Island alone every single year. And there's 35,000 yeah, now in the entire province of the ancient big tree old growth. And it's being targeted by industry, and only 6% of it's actually protected. So we are really down to the last few years of old growth logging before essentially the best old growth forests are entirely eradicated. And that 6% includes old-growth forests of all ages, so mainly high-elevation, bog, unproductive old-growth. That's not even 6% of the valley bottoms. There's so much misunderstanding of data and numbers, and that's because government has been citing industry numbers for decades. Since professional reliance was brought in in 2000, which basically handed over management of our forests to industry, government stopped doing all data, all inventory, and has basically left everything up to industry. We were logging on average on Vancouver Island until about 2015 or 2016, around 8,000 hectares a year. Then it went up to 10,000, and then when the NDP came in, it jumped up to 11,000 hectares a year. So the government that said they would fix this has actually made it worse. The NDP put people through all sorts of bureaucratic processes to give us hope. Last summer, I spent between June and the end of the summer writing responses to the Forest Range Practices Act review, then the Private Managed Lands Act review, then the Inland Forest Act review, then an environmental assessment review. And then at the end of all this, when you didn't think there could be another review and any more writing, came the All Growth Review. You know, another report and consultation, and I really had to fight to get that consultation. 
the NDP came in stating that they would start ecoforestry and ecology-based management, stop the export of raw logs, and basically return environmental decisions to British Columbians. They have done the opposite on everything, and they have actually allowed the increase of old-growth logging. And according to the report by three scientists that came out in April 2020, we're down to so little ancient old growth, and at this point, it's well under three years of logging it that we have left. Before the blockades that we're focusing on today, what else had people who wanted to protect forests on Vancouver Island been doing in recent years? We've all clicked, written innumerable, innumerable emails, submitted documents, I can't tell you how many years of my life I've spent just, you know, forwarding research, summarizing, begging, getting on the websites of NGOs, doing their clicks, and nothing has happened. It's all this, I suppose, armchair bureaucratic environmentalism. So my energy went through all the legal routes. I'm finally now to what we will call civil disobedience, because that is all that will now save what little left we have. There's an absolute divide and facade between the government that gets elected and the desire, hopes of the people. This government has been great at building our hope and wearing out our energy. I've basically spent years writing and clicking and, you know, showing up at meetings for environmental groups and for all sorts of events going on to protect various aspects of the environment. And nothing's come out of any of this. We have governments that say they listen, but they don't. It's business as usual. We have at least 2,000 species highly endangered, if not going extinct. They're shooting wolves and baiting, poisoning cougar to save the last of the caribou. And the caribou are dying off because the old growth that they are reliant on continues to be logged. The policy for the past several decades has been essentially talk and log, where the government says, yeah, we're going to commission a report or we're going to, you know, have a review or we're going to, you know, throw you a park or something. Or we'll just listen to your public comments for a few months and then do nothing. And meanwhile, as all of the environmental groups are putting their energy into campaigning, you know, everybody has to send their letters to the Ministry of Forest to tell the Ministry of Forest that they, you know, don't want old growth logging. While all the environmentalist organizations have been focusing on that, industry has been clear cutting one intact valley after another intact valley. And we're at the point where we cannot have any more discussions, we cannot have any more reviews because it is happening now and it is ending now. Currently, one of the things that you're seeing happening all across the island is there are sort of these larger contiguous patches of old growth that the industry has kind of maintained a little bit as old growth reservoirs, as it were, that they would log on the periphery now and again, but they wouldn't really try to annihilate quite yet because that's sort of their next year's harvest. What you're seeing is that industry is putting in roads not to just take a chunk of these old growth areas, but to take all of the merchantable timber in a certain area. And whether that's Edinburgh Mountain or Ferry Creek or the KQs or so many other areas where industry is essentially planning to annihilate their old growth forests. Teal Jones just published a plan that they have for their management of this area that we're blockading called Tree Farm License 46. And in it, they say their game plan is to continue to exploit old growth and second growth resources until the old growth resource is exhausted. And that essentially means we are wanting to annihilate the last of the ecosystem. That is their game plan. And if we do not realize that, and if we do not confront that, and if we then do not take the appropriate action to stop that, then we will lose all old growth force. Currently, all environmental groups across the board have failed in their duty to save these areas because, you know, they've prompted public outcry, but clearly the government does not care about public outcry. 
the NDP, they campaigned on a science-based approach to forestry three years ago. And look where we are today. We're logging more old growth than ever, and we are running out of places left to destroy. How did the Ferry Creek blockades come about? Michelle Connolly of Conservation North and Prince George put me through to Joshua. And I don't know who talked to who, but Joshua doing the work he'd been doing, watching what was going on on Vancouver Island. So I gave him a call to get a little information and go, wow. And there was this valley still not logged on Vancouver Island. I was on Google Earth and I was sort of looking around and I discovered this patch of green in the middle of a sea of clear cuts, this intact valley on Google Earth this area that hadn't seen any industrial logging before. And what I found out was happening there was that Teal Jones had permits to build roads into the valley. And then using up-to-date satellite imagery, I discovered that they were, in fact, building roads into this valley. So I got in touch with Carol. So then I sent out an email to at least 30 activists that I knew in the Victoria area. Victoria is the hub of activism for Vancouver Island. So a meeting was arranged by Victoria activists to meet at Lizard Lake, near Port Renfrew. And I was amazed. At least two dozen people showed up just from a call out, an email call out. Port Renfrew, I think it's about an hour and a half drive from Victoria. It's a two-hour drive for me from Nanaimo. People came from Nanaimo, Courtney, Duncan, and mainly from Victoria. And that's what got us started. We set up the blockade up on the ridge that day. Right after that meeting at Lizard Lake, a big group of us headed up to this very high ridge. I mean, that road was scary at the top. And we set up the blockade. Will O'Connell had gone in and had all this drone footage. So people saw that drone footage and thought, my goodness, we've got to save this. That evening, that Sunday evening, August 9th, he stayed up till wee hours in the morning, putting together this beautiful piece of an old growth stump that had recently been logged in the Klonawa. It's been about a month since the blockade went up, and it's been effective. We've saved a 2,000-year-old cedar tree that would have been cut down in the path of the roadway. We've prevented the timber crews from clear-cutting adjacent to the Ferry Creek Valley, and we've prevented any incursions of the logging roads into the Ferry Creek Valley, which were absolutely imminent. I mean, if we hadn't set up this blockade, the valley would be roaded and on the fast track to clear-cut logging. Who responded to that initial call-out? People that had been involved in the forest movement for decades were really the people who responded, people who had, you know, been at the Clyde Sound protests or people who'd been in Walbrand Valley, or even just people that had heard about that and are the younger generation and who wanted to do something. Pretty much everybody was united by the same sort of feeling that what we've been doing for the past 20 years has failed and we need to start dramatically escalating our tactics. Otherwise, we are going to lose. People came together in this blockade because nothing else except direct action has really been effective to save forests in the past. And if you want to save a forest, you actually have to save a forest. What are the logistics involved in putting together a blockade of this sort? Oh boy, quite the learning curve here. A latrine, protocols, procedures, you know, COVID distancing. We've got shelters set up for food. Everything has to be put away at night, i.e. into vehicles to be bear-proofed. Very nice latrines built, purposely built, at each of the blockades. Organizing who's bringing up what from one of the cities. Organizing rides. Not everybody has a vehicle. And then not everybody has all-wheel drive to go up a dirt road. A lot of coordinating and organizing. I've just been watching some of that stuff on the sideline. I've taken up a number of supplies. I've handed supplies over to others to pick up supplies. 
I'm amazed at the amount of work that goes into just organizing to keep the camps maintained and to keep some basic supplies there. A lot of communication and checking in. We also have, I think it's two satellite phones and we're improving the technology. Until I think yesterday, we weren't able to connect via email, but they've put in a hub so that I believe the two camps can connect with each other. And then one of the camps can email out. So that's been a big issue, not having that communication and having to rely on people driving all the way home to Victoria or Nanaimo in order to communicate with the rest of the group. So hopefully our communication will really increase. And the big thing is outreach in the community because we have people who get a hold of an email and email us or get on one of the Facebook pages. It's like, where can they go and what can they do to help? What should they bring? What kinds of responses have you been getting to the blockade from the media, from the government, from the company? The government has been conspicuously silent on the blockades, as has Jill Jones. They have not filed an injunction and they've tried to avoid basically making any public comments. And we're actually kind of worried about that because we think that the government is essentially saying, don't worry, we have your back. As far as the response from the community, I mean, there has been, I'd say, a wave of energy and a wave of gratitude for the people that are actually up there and blockading these forests. Because 90% of people in BC, or a ridiculous amount of people in BC, support an end to old growth logging. We've also had some challenging conversations around First Nations title, and we've had some really constructive conversations recently with elders who grew up in the Fairy Creek Valley hunting in the area and, you know, knew the importance of the yellow cedar groves. So it's been, I'd say, very constructive, and there's been a great deal of support. At the same time, there's obviously people who say, you know, go away, we want to clear-cut forests, and yet, you know, we disagree. You've said some quite critical things about how forest protection activism has happened in BC in the last two decades. How specifically have the groups that are invested in those approaches responded to the blockades? Generally positive. Most environmental NGOs realize that what they've been doing hasn't worked. And as NGOs, they can't exactly break the law, but individual citizens can. Many of them have been relatively supportive. Some of them just haven't said anything. But I think they also realize that it's a now or never type thing. If we don't have this reckoning now, and if people don't wholeheartedly engage and listen, then it's over. It's almost over now. Government has continued with improper, inaccurate, misleading numbers. My MLA in response to each of my emails to her will be a response that there's 520,000 hectares of old growth on Vancouver Island. Again, we're looking at 35,000 hectares of highly productive site index 25 ancient old growth across the province. The 520,000 hectares being referred to, that protected in parks, that that is still left, is largely high-altitude, bog, unproductive, old growth. So stunted trees, shrubbery, that's, yes, ecologically important, but not commercially viable. And tell me more about the relationships that you have or that you're developing with the First Nation whose territory encompasses Fairy Creek. We've had elders from the community come up and support. Nothing's ever clean and simple. And the Pachidat is a community that does not have the traditional governance structure in place. We have written, we have approached the Pachidat First Nation, but except for elders, we haven't had contact. They have not responded to our emails and our attempts to contact the current governing structure of the Pachidat First Nation. So it's quite a complex situation. The First Nation as a whole 
Uh, and by that, he means the band council. Doesn't necessarily condone direct action, is actually supported in part by the timber industry, and the, in large part hasn't engaged with the protesters. Yet at the same time, you have folks like Elder Bill Jones who have said that we cannot leave, that we have to hold this out, we have to stick it out, we have to save these areas because they are traditionally important, they are sacred, and to see them fall would be like seeing a friend die. That is how important these areas are traditionally, and it's a really complex situation. Not long after the main interview I did with Joshua and Carol, the BC government did in fact release their old growth strategic review, which was one of the demands of the blockades. So I spoke with Joshua again briefly and asked him about this development. The BC government has just released their old growth strategic review, which was actually one of our three demands of the blockade to release this report. And in this report, they're outlining what they see as the future of old growth forests in BC. I think it's a pretty positive report in that it says we do need to start managing forests for old growth and for ecosystem health rather than for simply timber volume. In response to this report, the BC government has announced nine deferral areas where they're going to be deferring old growth logging for about two years, I think it is, two or three years, while they legislate protection for these areas. But unfortunately, Berry Creek isn't one of them. The Walbrand Valley isn't one of them. Edinburgh Mountain isn't one of them. And neither are the Cowich River Valley in northern Vancouver Island or the Zalabos Lake watershed, both intact areas with new logging plans in them. At the blockades, we're pretty dismayed to see that they've ignored Berry Creek and we're pretty committed to staying there for essentially eternity until the BC government recognizes that Ferry Creek is exceptional and should be protected. And until the BC government ultimately ends all old growth logging. Unfortunately, deferments just mean they're going to defer logging. It doesn't mean that they're going to stop logging. It just means that they're pushing it down the road. And we want to see a total end to all old growth logging on Vancouver Island and across the province because we are down to the very last little bits of old growth left. How should people, meaning particularly people at a distance, act in support of the blockades? Email the Premier Minister of Forests, email all the MLAs in British Columbia, write letters to editors, make phone calls. Just make a big fuss. And take a road would... trip. We need as many people as we can at the blockades. You can also find information about the blockades, keep updated, get in touch with us at our Facebook page, which is Ferry Creek Blockade. And I mean, seriously, we need people on the ground. We need as many people as we can get, whether you are from Alberta or from Ontario. If you can get out to British Columbia, now is the time to do so. One of the things that I also say is that, you know, if you're up in Alaska or if you're up on the north coast of BC, I can guarantee you there's old growth logging happening there. We've coined the hashtag old growth blockade for our movement. And in all seriousness, if you can start your own, the feeling of protecting a forest from being clear cut is about the best feeling you can possibly have to know that you've actually made a positive impact. Um, Absolutely. Even start with a few people and stop the road building, stop the logging, stop the operations that makes it easy to devastate our environment. People need to start doing it all over the province and even all over Canada. When you confront industry and you say, run end to old growth logging, they'll say, you know, be reasonable. Yeah. Well, industry's position is let's log all of it until it's gone. Their position is let's annihilate absolutely everything except for Stanley Park. We've already lost the vast majority of old growth. We've lost almost 100% of the big tree forests. And to say that protection for the last percent or two of these ancient forests is an extreme position, it's <laughs> extreme to want to cut them all down. You have been listening to my interview with Carol Tootle and Joshua Wright about blockades defending old-growth forest at Ferry Creek on Vancouver Island. To learn more about the issue, go to oldgrowthblockade.com. 
To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link for the radio show. On the site, you can sign up for email updates or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, SoundCloud, and other platforms. I'm Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Hamilton, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, published by Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week. 